Welcome to today's edition of Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast is being brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. Amos 4, we'll begin reading then, verse 1. Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, Bring and let us drink. The Lord God hath sworn by his holiness that, lo, the days shall come upon you, that he will take you away with hooks, and your posterity with fish hooks. And ye shall go out at the breaches, every cow at that which is before her, and ye shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal multiply transgression, and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years, and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven, and proclaim and publish the free offerings. For this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. And I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all of your cities, and want of bread in all of your places. Yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And also I have withholden the rain from you, when there were yet three months to the harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city, and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered unto the one city to drink water. They were not satisfied. Yet, Ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. If you would throw your ribbon in here, I'd like to give some introduction from King David in the Psalms to the 11th Psalm. A psalm written to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Psalm 11 says, In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? David starts out the this, this psalm and he's, and he's letting everyone know that he trusts in the Lord. And so a rhetorical question comes up. Well, then why is it that you're telling me to run for my life? Why are you telling me to flee to a mountain? Why are you telling me to, to run and hide when we make it known, at least in our worship services, that we trust God? It's common. People have a tendency to say that they trust God and they have a tendency to say things that sound good when the ship is smoothly sailing. But as soon as rough seas begin, uh, uh, every man for themselves gangway, gangway over to the lifeboats. We don't run away from God when times get rough. We run to him. And we certainly don't run to hide. You have a cross to bear. Jesus had a cross to bear. He said, if they hated me, they certainly will hate you. And the Lord put I my trust 
How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. We are in their crosshairs already. Unless it is that you're doing nothing, because then there would be no reason for you to be in their crosshairs. You know, you, you realize when, when you read the book of Job and the troubles that he went through, the reason that he went through those troubles is because he got the attention of the wicked one. He obviously was doing something in order to gain that attention. Therefore, the book of Job. David served the Lord. He stuck his neck out defending for the Lord. So they are standing there hiding, and it says, so that they may privily or privately shoot at the upright in heart. And then he asks the question, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's a good question. Verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold His eyelids try the children of men. We know that. But the question still remains the same. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? I would ask that to people, and I do ask that to people when they come to me to tell me of the evil things that are happening in the land or things that are going around. They tell me all this stuff that's happening, and so I refer to them, well, what are you going to do about it? We used to have a saying in the old days when we did public ministry, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. The question, if the foundations be destroyed, which we know that that is the goal of the enemy, is to totally destroy the foundations, then what can the righteous do? Well, let's go over to Amos and we'll make some headway into trying to answer that question because it is a difficult question. In Amos, we're we're teaching our way through and and it's a long haul. It'll take us some time and most people are not used to spending so much time in the Old Testament where it's blood, guts, gore, and war. But that is the Bible, and it is the way that it's laid out, and so we take it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and spend as much time as necessary. He starts this chapter with a pretty derogatory statement. Hear this word, ye kind of Bashans. He starts out in a relatively inflammatory way by saying he calls them cows. You're a bunch of cows. It's at least kinder than Jesus' words because Jesus called them a bunch of snakes. But he calls them kind of Bashan. What we have is the cowboy from Tekoa is using verbiage that he's used to. He's making an illustration drawn on his lively work. He knows. He, is, he has dealt with, as this country boy, he has seen these kind of animals. These kind of, of Bashan. They're, they're abusive bulls. They, they ruin it and they wreak havoc in the flock and out on the fields. They are a pushy bunch. There are cows that are stronger and and might and faster and they, they stomp through the grazing grounds for the other animals and ruin it for them. 
They push cows and other animals that are weaker out of the way, and then they eat all the grass completely off the ground, so much so then from the weight of them stomping, make it a mud puddle so that there's, they ruin the pasture for everyone else. They're greedy. They wreak havoc. He's addressing them, and he says, you guys are like this. The leadership of the government, the people of, on the mountain of Samaria, the, the leaders, he says, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which, and then he gives this saying that is a little bit difficult, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. What does he mean? He says to their masters, I thought he was addressing the poor people. What he's saying there is, they say to the masters, bring, let us drink. The top tier people are saying to the masters, the mid-tier people, take actually more from the bottom tier people. Rip them off more. We're not satisfied even though we live in ivory towers and have everything possible at our exposure. But they, they command the, the federal level, commands the state level to rob the poor even more. Tell them, bring us and let us drink. Serve us. Do you see the, the arrogancy that they are dealing with? The, the, the poor people are crushed, it says. The needy are crushed. Tell them to bring us as we sit as Cleopatra on our couch. Bring us to drink. I don't think the Lord likes that. The corruption and the extortion that takes place. Verse 2, the Lord God hath sworn by his holiness, for there is no greater other than his name, that lo, the days shall come upon you that he will take you away with hooks. That was a customary thing for the Assyrian. Invade the land, have Iron chain links with hooks on the end, take the, the hook and run it through the bottom of their jaw, through their tongue, and then lead them back to the homeland. Not only they, but even the children. Because I say, he says, he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. Another custom was is they would take the fish hook and run it through the nostril. It was customary then, after that, you were marked as a slave because that hole would be filled with a ring or a stone. I wonder if anybody who is, you know, 13-year-old girl who goes to get her nose pierced, if she realized that's what really that stems from. Slavery. Now, I'm not against nose piercings. I just thought you might want to know that. <laughs> And they're going to run for their lives. Verse 3, you shall go out at the breaches, every cow, every one of you cows. And you shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. Then verse 4 and 5, he's letting us know that sin has become blatant. Openly blatant. It's interesting how fast society will degenerate, isn't it? I mean, how fast it can, I mean, it comes on like an avalanche. I remember as a boy, and I am young, a young, young buck, but um, I remember as a boy, everything was closed on Sunday. Everything. 
And it wasn't because of a coronavirus or lack of working. or Everything was closed on the Lord's Day because it was the Lord's Day. Even the heathen closed. Woolworths closed on Sunday because that was the Lord's Day. Now we have a transvestite in the cabinet of the presidency. Have you seen a picture of that guy? He is a guy. Here's the pop-up. As, as you're sitting drinking your mocha latte with whipped cream at Starbucks and you're Facebooking your life away, and you get this pop-up advertisement that comes through. Verse 4, come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgression and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Oh, but we know the law says to do it without leaven, but that tastes like garbage. So we have no interest in doing things like that. So clearly bring your offerings, though, but bring it with leaven and proclaim and publish the free offerings. I mean, they are openly advertising sin. And woe is me if a mayor of a town would get up and strike that down. God says, this is, this is like you. you. You actually do this. O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. And then as the chapter progresses, verses 6 on down, he recites a list of seemingly natural disasters, but we know better. I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all of your cities and want of bread in all of your places. In other words, I sent a famine to get your attention, but he says, yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Verse 7, and also I have withholden the rain from you, when there were yet three months to harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city, and caused it not to rain upon another city, one piece was rained upon, the piece whereupon it rained not, it withered, letting us know that's, that doesn't sound normal. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. And yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And then again in 9, I have smitten you with blasting and with mildew. When your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased, the palmer worm devoured them. And sadly, ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And then he turns up the pressure more. Well, I have sent among you the pestilence. Sure would have been nice if America would have turned to the Lord when coronavirus hit, wouldn't it have been? Sure would have been nice instead of seeing Fauci on TV, maybe Franklin Graham or Billy Graham pictures, old time, old school. Jeremiah did say, seek the old pads. But that didn't happen. It would have been nice to see some wealthy person, maybe the owner of Chick-fil-A or Hobby Lobby, buy some airtime on TV and spend some of the big money and just say, hey, by the way, uh, the pestilence has come. You might want to just pray a little more. But no one did that. Yet you have not returned unto me. I have even slain them with a sword and have taken away your horses and I have made them to stink of your camps to come up to the nostrils. Yet have ye not returned unto me. 
it wasn't enough. So eventually the heat gets turned up even further. In verse 11, I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And ye were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. And then, of course, yet for the fifth time, he says, Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. All the threats and the warnings didn't work. The the divine disasters. I mean, they seemed like they were natural disasters, but we know better, and eventually it comes obvious. These aren't natural disasters, although they are. They are what I call supernatural naturalnesses. They look completely natural, but we know it's supernatural that God is behind it. And the, 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 I don't know if you know, but there, there, there was a tsunami that came to the West Coast just a couple days ago, and it was like the mainstream news didn't even know that that happened. Did anybody even hear about that? There was an explosion in the middle of the ocean that sent a three-foot wave. Don't pay no attention to that. Just keep walking. Because we know that Jesus said something in Matthew 24 about earthquakes in diverse places. Pay no attention to that. Corona, Corona, Corona. So the threats and the warnings, they didn't work. The natural disasters, they didn't work. And so then you would say to yourself, well, now what then? Now what? And you would say to yourself, well, what if you love your God and love your country? Then what? I was talking to a brother the other day, and, and, I, and, and I have board meetings with a lot of people. Everybody keeps talking about a board, you know, a board. We don't have a board here. Uh, you are all a part of the board. And if you want to have a board meeting, you just text me and say, everyone have a board meeting. And as long as you buy the coffee, we'll have it. <laughs> so I was having a board meeting the other day. And uh, the fellow said to me about, you know, a few things. But it struck me. And um, he said, you know, I have 13 grandkids. And I would like for them to grow up in a land similar to that which I grew up in. Thirteen grandkids. He's worried about them. I have no grandkids because I'm extremely young. (laughs) But if I did have grandkids, you're going to see a side of me that you haven't seen in 25 years. I mean, I used to wear brass rings and spikes and rings and knuckles and stuff. In fact, my boy just got pulled over the other day in my truck, and he said that he, the cop looked in and he had to hide the brass knuckles that are on the front counter. <laughs> Don't mess with our grandkids. So then what do you do? What shall the righteous do if the foundations be destroyed? What Shall we do? Let's just mosey through Scripture a little bit and turn back to the prophets of Ezekiel and see what happens here. In Ezekiel chapter 8, again, a a, a threat is looming. In Ezekiel chapter 8, in verse 5, Ezekiel 8, 5, Then said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes, the way toward the north, and behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry, a big painting. Verse 6, he said furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go, that I should go far off from my sanctuary? 
But turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. And he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. In other words, there's things done in secret here. Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door, a hidden door. And he said unto me, Go in, and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. They're glorifying it by way of paintings on the wall. And then he notices something in verse 11. And there stood before them 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel. These are the top governmental men, either a senate or a form of the Sanhedrin. The top 70 men. The ancients, they are called here. There stood before them 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood Jezaniah, the son of Japhan, the leader, the ringleader, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. The picture there that is being illustrated is a crime. And the crime is very deep. The swamp is very deep and it's very corrupt. They are overcome in sin. They are entrenched in sin. Well then, what would we the people do? That's the question. If the foundations be destroyed, what shall we do? Well, go over a few pages to Ezekiel 12. Ezekiel 12.1 The word of the Lord also came unto me, saying, Son of man, thou dwellest in the midst of a rebellious house, which have eyes to see and see not. They have ears to hear and hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Therefore, thou son of man... Now look what happens here. Prepare the stuff for removing, and remove by day in their sight. And thou shalt remove from thy place to another place in their sight. It may be they will consider though they be a rebellious house. What what he is doing is, is he's making an illustration. He's giving him an action list to try to gain their attention. The very first part of this is the first thing you need to do is see if you can first gain their attention. Because they're a rebellious house, it may be they will consider. Verse 4, Then shalt thou bring forth thy stuff by day in their sight, in broad daylight, as stuff for removing. In other words, it's a big move. It would be similar to our day, you would have moving trucks. You would have blankets and and different things. that It's a large move of all of your stuff. As stuff for removing, for moving. And thou shalt go forth at even now in their sight as they that go forth into captivity. 
So what the Lord is actually telling him to do here is to gain a little theater to what you're doing. Kind of make a stink in the middle of the day. You know, try to do something just to gain their attention as if you're, you're moving. Do it in broad daylight so that you hopefully get somebody's attention. And then, and then once you get their attention, add a little theater to it so that, so that it's drama. Again, you're trying to get a hold of them. Do it as they that go forth into captivity. That will just build intrigue. They won't know what you're doing. The curiosity will kill the cat. They won't know what you're doing. And on purpose. Then, dude in the night, dressed up as if you are being taken captive. Verse 5. Then dig through the wall in their sight and carry out thereby. In their sight shalt thou bear it upon thy shoulders and carry it forth in the twilight. So, so now we have, you have their attention and, and you're, you're digging through a wall as if you are being taken captivity. All of your stuff is being dug through the wall and walking through. You have dirt all over you. You're digging it by hand. And here it says that it, you do it until twilight. So in other words, this took all night long. Uh, all the news cameras were on you. Fox News was on you. CNN wasn't here because they're just busy with corona. But everybody else is here watching you dig through the wall all the way until twilight. And then he says to add a little more theater to it, thou shalt cover thy face that thou see not the ground. So now you're, you're, you're wandering around after making a fool of yourself and, and you're going to put a, a, a bag over your head and walk around and bump into things because you can't see where you're going. He's adding theater. Now you, somebody would say to him, that doesn't seem very professional. Doesn't seem like it's very becoming of a Christian to do such foolishness. Look at him, he's all full of dirt. Making a fool of himself. I, I think it was the Apostle Paul who said, I am a fool for Christ's sake. Not very distinguished. Look at him, he's... Look at Paul, he, he don't even talk right. Although he can. They're laughing at him. This isn't very dignified. You look a fool. Thou shalt cover thy face, that thou see not the ground. For I have set thee for a sign unto the house of Israel. And I did so as I was commanded... I brought forth my stuff by day as stuff for captivity, and in the evening I digged through the wall with mine own hand. I brought it forth in the twilight, and I bare it upon my shoulder in their sight. Verse 8, And in the morning came the word of the Lord unto me, saying, Son of man, hath not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said, Unto thee, what doest thou? You got their attention. And they're inquiring. What are you doing? Do you understand everything? No. Did their hearts turn and a great revival break out? No. Did you get their attention? You bet. 
Let's go back to Amos then and we'll make our conclusion. Five times he said they have resisted the threats, the disasters, and five times he says here, yet ye have not returned unto me. And as I was sitting in my office, I, I, I have a few things that, uh, you know, that are inspiring or whatever. And they're, they're, the most frightening scene that comes to my mind is the ocean at night. Something about the ocean in the pitch dark. Frightening. And I think to myself, think of all the men that have been lost at sea through the centuries. I mean, the old-time men where it was the mast sailing, the, 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 the old-time sailors. There were no communications other than the stars in the sky. There, there was no other thing. So when a storm arose in the middle of the Atlantic and the ship goes down and people run for their lives and the ship totally is destroyed by 60-foot swells in the ocean, these men, some of them actually, believe it or not, survived the shipwreck. The ship goes down they grab a piece of wood or, or something that floats just trying to save their life in just, just long enough so that they have an imminent drowning. No one is coming for them. There was no rescue. There was no SOS. There was nothing. They are by themselves, two, three guys in the middle of the ocean grabbing dear life on a piece of wood to drift only to suffer an imminent drowning. All that is left here is verse 12. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God. There's no one left. There is no rescue. It's you and him. Prepare to meet thy God. Every single person in this room, nay, every single person on this planet will have a few minutes in their weeping feebleness of their deathbed. The strongest man you better prepare to meet thy God. Because your day is coming. And you better be ready. Because every mouth shall be stopped. And the books shall be opened. And your knee will be bent. And you will stand before his majesty, the king. And I sure hope you're prepared. It might even do well to prepare right now. Because there's a whole lot of people. In fact, Jesus said, few there be that find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go therein. But few there be that find it. And this day, this very day, Someone here who is an unbeliever just heard the warning. There's no escape. There are no other words but to prepare to meet thy God. 
You've been listening to Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast was brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. For more information, you can call the church at 330-554-7606 or check us out on the web at libertyvalleychurch.org. That's libertyvalleychurch.org.